to the greatest event in human history. See, the reason I ask you to invite someone to Easter service is because we have a reason for them to be here. And the reason, well, the reason today is that Jesus is the only answer. Amen? Amen. Back up. Jesus is the only answer. Today, we're going to talk about something, and, well, I have an advantage over you. I had the opportunity to already preach this message at 9.30, and I had the opportunity to cry my eyes out. Because today, we're going to talk about, well, a subject you need to hear, but a very difficult one. Today, we're going to talk about death. You see, everyone will come face to face with the subject of death. The question isn't about if you're going to. Well, the question is, when and how will you come face to face with the subject of death? This week was my mother's birthday. And being the good son, really the only good son that she had, I went over on her birthday. It's her 77th birthday. She's proud of that, so I can tell you. And I brought her flowers. I showed up at the door, and I said, hey, happy birthday. She's like, oh, you're the best one. You're going to get more in the will than anyone else. And I was like, that's why I'm here. But no. <laughs> but I went over there, and I spent time with my mom. And of course, being 77, and stuff, the subject of other family members who had, have died. And that, 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 came, that subject came up. And I, I realized this in talking with my mom. I said, you know, after this discussion, I've come to the realization that I come from a long line of people who have died. And you know what? So have you. And in discussing it, we talked about the difference between Sheridans and Wades. And uh, my mom's maiden name's a Wade. She's a Wade. And I'm more of a Wade than a Sheridan and stuff. And that Sheridan, Sheridan men, this is how we die. We just get tired of everything. We don't get sick. And we just say, okay, and leave. So it's, like, it's like me when I go to a wedding. I always know when it's time to leave when the white people start dancing. When I see that, that's when I leave. No offense, but I don't need to see your 400-pound hands do the twist. That's when I leave. And that's kind of how Sheridan men do life. When they come across something, it's like, and we've had enough, time's over, and they just leave. Now, Wade, Wade women are different. Wade women live to be over 100. The only problem is somewhere around 85 or so, they go crazy. Uh, my grandma's 99, and she's kind of lost her mind and everything. And I made this joke to my mom, and I said, you know, because Wade women go crazy when they get older. And I said, that's kind of neat that you just chose to start the process at 40 to go crazy. But, but wait, wait, this is what she said back to me. She said, yes, but if you'll notice, that's about the time you became a teenager. <laughs> pretty good, pretty sharp. Pretty sharp for a 70s. No. Um, listen, though, if you don't know this, the statistics are in. 10 out of 10 people, they die. 10 out of 10 people die. You see, death is a reality, and we don't like to talk about it. We like to fake it. We like to dye our hair to pretend like we're not getting closer to it, right? Not pointing fingers. But we like to deny that it's happening and try to say, I'm not going to die. But the fact is that every person in this room, everybody on this planet has faced that subject and has faced it, the subject of death. And so today, if you're taking notes, there has to be an answer to this problem. And the answer? Well, the answer is our marching orders to tell the world today that Jesus is the only answer for death. Amen? Amen. Jesus is the only answer for eternal life. 
Jesus is the only answer for the grave. Jesus is the only answer for this concept of what happens after I die. Jesus is the only answer. You see, when it comes to the subject of death, I don't want guesses. When it comes to the subject of death, I don't want philosophical ideas, and I don't want physicists explaining things to me. No, when it comes to the subject of death, I want to know what is the one and only answer. And the answer is Jesus. Can I say this to you politely? If you know that answer, say amen. amen. Let me just say this to you. How much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them this answer? How much do you have to hate your brother-in-law not to tell them that Jesus is the only answer? How much do you have to hate your, your neighbor to tell, not tell them that Jesus is the only answer? Jesus conquered, with three things as we begin today. Number one, Jesus conquered the sting of death. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory for our Lord Jesus Christ. Every time I do a funeral and I do a graveside, I tell the same story. And so it's this. It's the father and his little girl on a beautiful summer afternoon as they're driving through the country. As they're driving through the country, they have their windows down. And the windows are down, and all of a sudden, a bee flies into the back of the car. And the little girl in the back says, Daddy, Daddy, there's a bee, there's a bee. If it stings me, I'll die. She's deathly allergic to bees. And she goes on screaming, Daddy, Daddy, get the bee, get the bee. If it stings me, I'll die. The father, being like only a father could do, kept right on driving, took beats back, found that bee, grabbed hold of that bee. While he kept driving for a little moment, let the bee go. And the bee began flying around, and the little girl said, Daddy, Daddy, why did you let the bee go? If he stings me, I'll die. And the father holds up his big, strong hand with a stinger stuck right in the middle. He says, oh, don't worry, sweetheart. He can't hurt you anymore. To the believer in Jesus Christ, when it comes to the subject of death and the grave, Jesus holds up his nail-scarred hand and says, oh, he can't hurt you anymore. Secondly, <laughs> Jesus conquered the question of eternity. In 1 John 5, 13, these things I have written unto you to believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. And lastly, Jesus conquered the grip of the grave. In Luke verse 24, there at the grave on the Easter Sunday that we will celebrate, an angel will say this to the ladies who come. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, crucified the third day, and rise again. As I look at these three things, I'm reminded that Jesus takes the sting of death away. That Jesus answers the question of eternity, and Jesus has well, he's removed the grip of the grave, and I'm reminded that Muhammad, Muhammad never conquered the grave. Muhammad never claimed to, or never did, conquer the grave. That Buddha cannot erase the pain of death. And that religion, oh, religion that tells you you have to be good enough, and some people will make up things and say, if your good outweighs your bad, so you might get to heaven. We've already read a verse today, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're going to heaven. Religion tells you that you're good enough if you can make it to heaven, but it is not what Jesus says. Jesus has released the grip of the grave upon me when I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. All of these things were determined. The sting of death was removed. The question about my eternity was taken away, and the grip of death, the grip of the grave is no longer bound by me. Amen. And 
see in our march to the greatest event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's tell the world that Jesus is the only answer. In John chapter 6, as we begin today, we're going to be in a few other places, John 11, John 18 also. But in John chapter 6, it's an amazing story. Jesus is foreshadowing his crucifixion. And it's really a combination of our last two weeks' messages. Jesus, after teaching a very hard truth that we looked at two weeks ago, many of his disciples will leave and say, this is too difficult for me. This is too hard. And Jesus will turn to his disciples that stay and say, well, will you two leave? And Jesus will ask them the question that maybe some of you, your family has asked you, why do you follow me? Why are you following me? Why do you follow Jesus, your mother-in-law might ask? Your grandchildren might ask. Your neighbors might ask. Why are you following Jesus? And Jesus will ask this in verse 67 of John 6. Then said Jesus unto the twelve. This is after those left. Will ye also go away? <coughs> then Simon Peter, remember Peter from last week? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Verse 69, and we believe and, you, and sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. As many mistakes as Peter makes, and we looked at that last week, some of his mistakes, as many mistakes that Peter makes in his life, right here in these verses, he nails it. He nails it. He looks at Jesus, and if you allow me to paraphrase, he says, where else can we go? Only you have the answer. Only you are the answer. In fact, not only do you have the answer, you're God. There's no one else on this planet who is God. There's no one else who has this answer. Where else could we possibly go, Jesus? We will never leave you. Yes, when times get hard, we're still going to follow you. When we don't understand what's going on, we're still going to follow you. When I don't have an answer, I'm still going to trust that you are the answer. Where else can I go? Because you are the Now, let me say this to you, and if I need to clarify later, I, I will, but let me just say this to you. Going to heaven does not require you to believe in Noah's flood. I do. I believe the Bible is true without error, and I believe every word. But that's not what gets you to heaven. Going to heaven doesn't mean you have to believe that David actually took a slingshot. Going to heaven doesn't mean you actually have to believe that there's two people by the name of Adam and Eve that exist. I believe all these things because I believe the Bible. But going to heaven simply means this. That you believe you're a sinner who could do nothing about it. And that God loved you so much he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And what you do believe, what you repent of your thinking, is that God sent Jesus and he died on the cross for your sins, for mine. And on the third day he conquered the grave. You have to believe and accept. See, the rest of it, the rest of it all falls in line. Because one of my pastors, Pastor Gregory, pointed out, Steve, when you got saved, did you believe in the virgin birth? I said, well, I was five. I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't. He said, but when somebody told you about it, did you think I said yes? Because it's in the word of God. Listen, today, the thing that's keeping you from heaven or without heaven, if you know Christ today as your personal Savior, is he your only answer for eternity? Today, I want to give you three things. We're going to be bouncing around. Go to John 18. John 18 now. Eventually we'll be in John 11 and then John 19. But we're going to stay in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the only answer. I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, because the power of his glory. 
Jesus is the only answer because of the power of his glory. Here in John 18 and verse 3, we enter into that familiar scene that Jesus is in the garden. He's about to be arrested, and you know if you've been in Sunday school long enough, you know that Judas is leading a group. He's going to betray him. You know that. And he's leading a group to betray him. Here it is in verse 3. Judas, then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Right, some of these are soldiers. They're like policemen. They have weapons. They have torches. They have swords. They're coming there to get Jesus. You need to keep that in mind. These are not dainty men. These are hardened men with weapons. In verse 4, Jesus therefore knowing all things. By the way, because he's God, he knew all things. Uh, God can read your thoughts. You do not have to pray audibly for God to know what you're saying. God can read your thoughts. Now, a little side note, Satan does not know your thoughts. Satan does not know everything. He's a finite being who can only be in one particular place. Only God knows everything. Um, except maybe a teenage boy to his father. But only God knows everything. Back to verse 4. That shall come upon him, and went forth and said unto him, Whom seek ye? Here's their answer. And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, this is important, I am he. And Judas also which betrayed him stood with him. At that phrase there, I am. All right, if you don't know your Bible, it might get lost on you. But if you remember when Moses... And God commissioned Moses to go tell the Hebrews and things. And Moses kind of who do I say sent me? This sounds crazy. Am I going to say a bush? What's going on here? And God said to them, when they ask who sent you, God says, say to them, I am sent you. It's another way of saying, I am God. It's another way of saying, God. In fact, Jesus will make the Pharisees very upset because he will claim things in John. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the resurrection. In fact, one time they'll ask him, like, who do you think you are? And Jesus' response is, I am. And if anyone ever tells you, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God, well, that's not true because that's why the, the, the Pharisees wanted to pick up stones and kill him. Because he said this phrase, I am. In our culture, it gets lost. In a Jewish culture at that time, it would have been just like saying, I am God Almighty. All right? Verse 6, what happens when he says this? As soon then as he heard, he had said unto them, I am he. What happens? They went backwards. Remember, these are hardened men. These are soldiers. These are tough guys with swords and spears, and they're coming to arrest an unarmed man. He says, I am. They went backwards and fell to the ground. Here in this verse 6, Jesus has revealed a small part of his deity and his glory. Here in verse 6, by saying that the way he said it, he is saying he is the Lamb of God. He is God. Listen, it is not his confidence, it is not his boldness that shocked them and made them fall back. What it is, is that he has revealed to them, sort of pulled back the curtain a little bit, and revealed a small part of his deity and his purpose. And in revealing that, they fall backwards. Now, I would like you to notice something. They do not fall forward. They do not fall forward and backwards in worship, but instead they fall backwards in fear. There are two responses when you are given the fact that Jesus is God and given the gospel. When God finally reveals himself to you, you have only one or two choices. 
And everybody in this room has made either one or two choices here when it comes to Jesus, when he has revealed himself to you. Number one is to fall forward and worship as Savior. A little side note, because Revelation 1, if you'd like to put notes in your Bibles, right here by verse 7, or excuse me, verse 6, put Revelation 1, 17. John the Revelator, when he comes into the presence of Jesus, says this, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand and said unto me, Fear not, I am first and last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And he says this, I and I alone have the keys of death and hell. <clears throat> when John comes into Jesus' presence, he falls forward in worship. But when these unbelieving men are given a small portion of the deity and the purpose of Christ, they fall backward in fear. You see, today, the Apostle Paul says this, there's coming a time and place. There's coming an event in the future when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You see, your choice is this, and it happens right here, right here today. You are either falling forward to Jesus in worship, or one day, like these men, when his deity and his purpose is finally revealed, you will fall backwards in fear as a judge. Jesus is either your savior or he's your judge today. Can I tell you this, believer? If you've made choice one, wow, isn't it great? Thinking of that moment, thinking of that time like John, it's just so overwhelming. It's a great thought of when we finally are in his presence face to face. But I also think of the second group. I want you to leave today with a, a joy in your heart. But I'd also like you to leave with a purpose for your life. See, somebody said, well, the purpose of your life is your best life. Now, that is a lie from the word of God. purpose of your life, and we'll talk about it in just a second, the purpose of your life is this. It's to worship. It's to worship and know him as Savior. But the other purpose is to go out. friend Lazarus has died and Jesus knew that he was sick. Jesus knew that he wouldn't make it. In fact, Jesus on purpose will not go and heal him and he will allow Lazarus to die. And the fact that Lazarus dies, Jesus comes there three days later and he comes to the graveyard where Lazarus was. And he says this in verse 43. And when they had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice and he said this. Now, get ready. Jesus is an old school Baptist preacher, okay? Just like Pastor Steve. Sometimes Pastor Steve raises his voice. It's not because I'm mad, just I get a little carried away, okay? 
So I'm going to raise my voice because it says Jesus cried with a loud voice. So here we go. He cried with a loud voice and he said this in his best father voice. Lazarus! Come forth! I don't have a verse to back this up, but I love the idea that someone once said he had to say Lazarus because if he had simply said come forth, everyone in that graveyard would have came out. <laughs> verse 44 says this. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. And many of the Jews which came to Mary, and have seen these things which Jesus did, believed on him. Just words. That's all Jesus did, was simple words. And I'm reminded that, well, I'm reminded that the Bible says with just simple words, God spoke this universe into existence. And here in John 11, in this graveyard, Jesus, with just words, just simple words, demonstrates to the authority that he has and has a man raised from the dead. If you're taking notes, his authority, go to the next one, there you go. His authority, number one, does not require my faith. Does not require my faith. I want to stop here and camp for just one second, okay? There's too many charlatans going around saying, if you have enough faith, God will heal you. If you have enough faith, God will make you rich. If you say prayers and just, that is a lie. That is paganism. That is materialism. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I would like to ask you this very simple question. How much faith did Lazarus have here in John 11? None. Lazarus was dead. I'd also like to point out something else. I'm not trying to disparage what experience your grandmother or friend might have had. But it's never recorded that Lazarus went around telling his experience. In fact, John, Paul, excuse me, in 2 Corinthians 12, when he dies and goes to heaven and comes back, John says, you know what, it's just not lawful, it's not prudent, I'm not going to talk about it. Be very cautious if someone wants to sell you a book or sell you an experience. You do not need an experience to know God. You do not need somebody to sell you a book to explain things to you. God has already revealed himself in the word of God. Amen? Lazarus had no faith. And by the way, if somebody says, well, I have to touch you for you to get healed. Jesus didn't touch Lazarus, did he? Lazarus is behind a stone, behind a rock. He's bound up in grave clothes, we're going to be saw here. And Jesus just simply said the word, come forth. I am reminded in our Wednesday night study, as we look at some of these abuses, there are men, and they're on TV, the dude in the white suit, Benny Hen. He's a heretic. Don't listen to him, okay? I'm warning you. I'm trying to warn you as your pastor. He will sometimes take and say, oh, I slay people in the Holy Spirit. And he throws out the Holy Spirit, and you'll notice they don't fall forward. They fall what? They fall back. You see, there's a theological term in seminary for just a second. Theological term, and it's this. It's called sovereignty. Sovereignty. It's an amazing word. I... It answers so many questions, but it also leaves my heart aching so often. And sovereignty is this, the ultimate power of God. Meaning God can do, well, well God can't do everything. He can't. God can't stop loving me. I can't stop <laughs> You're old enough to know that. God can't take away my salvation. God has to forgive me. God will never destroy this planet with a, with a flood again. There's certain things God has said he will not do, and he's bound by his word. But everything that takes place on this planet is the sovereignty of God. At 9.30 and... Um, well, Ron was very kind, and he shared a very difficult thing that Kathy's going through, Kathy Whitcomb. 
She's having a hard time because of her medication. Or because of the opioid explosion, they're cutting back what she can have. And she's, in, she's in intense pain, but they're not giving her a pain medication. You know, I, I'm sure there are, but I have met very few people nicer than Kathy. She's a wonderful kind of lady, and she's gone through so much things in her life. And so, Pastor Steve, why does God allow this? Anybody who tells you they do is lying. It's God's sovereignty. He chooses to act the way he does. He chooses things to happen. Look, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real with you, too. i got a little spot out here, and it's kind of developed a little place where I pray. Now, let me say this to you. If you have a spot where you pray with God, be smarter than Pastor Steve. Pick something indoors. Because it's really hard to stay out there and pray when it's 12 degrees. But uh, I've been stood out there that field many times, and I've yelled at God. Well, we lost some really good people in this church. You know, through the list, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. God, that's not fair. Why did you do this, God? I'm really upset with you here. You screwed up. You made a mistake. He's Pastor Steve, do you have the answer? I don't have the answer, but I know this. God is too good, too kind to do something bad for the sovereignty of God takes over. The psalmist in 135.6 says this. Listen to this. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. You see, my response to the sovereignty of God and what he does is not to understand him. Stop trying to figure out God. You never will. You'll go crazy trying to do it or you'll create a heresy trying to do it. Stop trying to figure out God. Do the stuff you do understand that he says are very clear, like loving your neighbor and forgiving. Amen? Stop trying to understand him and just follow him. Job will say, though he slays me, I will follow him. And second, number two, this is again another thing. His authority does not rest on my pleasure. God's not here to make us happy. Um, we would take our, our teenagers when I was youth pastor to this place in Union Grove, Wisconsin, called Shepherd's Home. Amazing place, over 200 special needs uh, uh, adults they ministered to. And from 18 and up. And there were a wide range. There were some very extreme uh, disabled uh, men and women to autism, or to severe autism and, and Down syndrome and some other things. And one of the men that was there, I can't remember his name, but I never forget what he did. Uh, he was a Pentecostal preacher. And uh, what happened is he had a surgery. And the surgery took place. They didn't get enough oxygen to his brain. And because of that, he was mentally disabled. And so he couldn't live on his own. He was enough where you would thought, why are you here? But you spent a little time talking with him. He got confused, and he could not live on his own. And so his family put him in Shepherd's Home. And so one day, we were there. We would go in uh, March like this, and it was really cold in Wisconsin. It's cold here, and it's cold there. And we came out of the place where they were working. We were going to lunch, and this gentleman, he was putting on his jacket. It was really cold. It was like 15 degrees for March and everything. He puts on his jacket. And Ah, bless God. God wants us to free today. Glory to God, we're going to freeze for Jesus. And I thought, that gentleman got the truth more than most people with a clear mind. He was just like, whatever God brought into my life, this must be what God wants me to experience. And whatever I go through, whatever difficulty I have, I'm going to give God all the glory to God. Instead of letting, listen, what we do, instead of letting God tell us what to do and the Holy Spirit to direct us, we turn around and we try to tell God what to do. 
God does not require your faith to move. He's sovereign. And God is not interested in giving your best life now. God is interested in you worshiping him and warning other people. Amen? That's his authority. And lastly, number three. Jesus is the only answer because of the completion of his actions. Go over to flip one page to John 19. The completion of his action. There our Savior is in John 19, verse 30. Stripped on a cruel Roman cross, beaten, bloody pulp, blood coming down, a crown of thorns pressed into his hand, people mocking him. There he is. He's going to die. And I would like to point something out. They did not kill Jesus. He willingly gave up his life because it was a plan from Genesis 3.15. But here we have John 19.30, the event that the entire Old Testament was about, the event that the entire New Testament points back to. In John 19.30, our Lord and Savior on the cruel Roman cross, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. The whole Old Testament system, the whole point of it showing us that we were sinners separated from God. The lamb that they would sacrifice, that Jesus himself would say, I'm the lamb of God that was pointing to him. Everything building up to this moment. Here on this cross, his work is complete. Here his actions prove who he is. Here on this cross, he says these simple words. It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. There, on that cruel Roman cross, is the answer. There, the plan of God is complete. Can I be so bold to ask you this question? Do you know him as Lord and Savior? Do you know him? And have you accepted what he did on that cross for you? Have you accepted him as the payment for your sin? Because the time is going to come when you will either meet him and worship him as Savior, you will meet him in fear as your judge. When someone can call their own shot and pull it off on their own death and come back in the resurrection, if someone can call their own shot, that is a person you should listen to. In closing, I have had this plan for weeks, but my wife informed me on a Friday night uh, we're going out with some people. We're going to a movie. Uh, that's, how she, that's how she runs, right? And the movie was based off of this song that I want to play. The movie is I Can Only Imagine. And these words that go through in this song, what I would like to do is close out our worship. No legalism, no rules, okay? When we saw this movie and stuff, and they sang this song at the end, I was like in the theater. I wanted to jump up and just go glory and, and just stand there. But I, you know what? I didn't want to do anything that would draw attention to me and pull it away from Jesus. So we're going to play this song. And what I would like you to do, well, if you'd like to think of somebody who's recently deceased or a family member who's already done that, feel free to do that. I'm not going to tell you not to. But what I would really like you to do I'd like you to focus on yourself for a moment. I'd like you to focus on that future event. When Jesus being the only answer that you need is finally revealed, and we finally come into his presence, and we finally see his glory completely, and everything about him is finally revealed. The Bible says absent from the body is present with the Lord. There's coming a time and a place when I will close my eyes for the last time, and the next thing I will see is my Lord and Savior. 
And I'm sure he'll hold up a hand with a hole in it. And there'll be feet with marks on it. What I would like you to do is imagine that a moment. If you would like to, if you would like to come forward and use these steps as an altar and just praise him and bow and pray, you're welcome. If you'd like to pray and bow your head and just, just enjoy what God has done for you and thank him or imagine that moment where you're at, do it. If, if you're just the type of person when you get emotional like I am, you just want to raise your hand, you raise your hand if you want. There is no rule. There is no legal requirement. There's nothing. I'm not going to do that to you at all. However you want a response to the concept, the idea that Jesus is the only answer and one day, one day, like you to respond to the glory of God, the power of God, the sovereignty of God, and the completion of what he did on the cross. So I would like you to enjoy this song, respond however you would like to, and just let God be glorified. Gentlemen, are you ready? Enjoy this. What my eyes 